Right from the beginning of the life of Christ, his birth in Bethlehem, his baptism, his first miracle of turning water into wine, his first pronouncement in teaching, all of it is best understood looking back, looking at it through the cross that still lay ahead of him at that time. Hello folks, I'm Joe Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. Our ministry has found expression in over 40 countries. To learn more about us, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. We are today considering what Jesus taught about the cross. Much of what he taught is concealed in its fullest meaning until after he died and rose again. But when you know the cross, you see that all that Jesus taught bore in upon what the cross would reveal. In fact, you cannot understand whether you're with Christ or you're without Christ, your own life most fully, but through his cross. It's interesting, after the Lord Jesus' baptism, the first Passover meal that he goes to, he enters into Jerusalem and he drives the money changers out of the temple. It's not the first time, he'll do it at the last Passover as well. But the very first Passover that he attends after he has publicly expressed himself and come forward to establish his public ministry. And the leaders of the temple and the scribes and Pharisees gather around him and ask him, what's the authority that he has? What sign can he give that he has authority to cleanse the temple? And the Lord Jesus responds to them. Now, this is at the very beginning of his ministry. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Matthew tells us that he said this in reference to, as an obscure reference to his death and his resurrection. In other words, I'm just saying here, he knew the mission that was before him. He knew the mission of the cross and what lay ahead of him. Later on, the Lord Jesus will elicit from his disciples a statement as to who they have come to understand that he is. Who do people say that I am? Well, some people say that you're Elijah. Some people say that you're Jeremiah. Some people say that you're the voice of John the Baptist coming back again. Well, who do you say that I am? Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And after Peter says this, Matthew in Matthew 16, 21 tells us that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. He knew it was ahead. He knew it was coming. And he knew it was a must, that it was central He knew that it was a must and that it was central to his purpose. Here's the second thing I want you to see. He taught that the cross would reveal man's sin and bring mercy to confessing sinners. He taught that the cross would reveal man's sin and bring mercy to confessing sinners. During that last week of the Lord Jesus, before he goes to the cross, there are a number of parables that he shared. And one of the parables he shared was the parable of the wicked tenants of a vineyard that had been given to them. And the master of the vineyard wants to receive some of the fruit from the vineyard of those who are tending to his vineyard. And so he sends some of his emissaries to get something and extract something from that vineyard. But these wicked tenants abuse the messengers that are sent to them. They abuse them verbally and then they begin physically to beat them and abuse them physically. And so eventually, Jesus says, they send those who are tending over the vineyard. He sends his own son. And they say, let's kill the son and the inheritance will be ours. And they kill the son. They say, let's kill the son and and all that will be ours. The inheritance will be ours. And the Lord Jesus says, what will he do 
What will the master do to those wicked tenants? And the Pharisees that are listening to the story say, well, he'll come and he'll destroy those wicked tenants and he'll give the vineyard to another. And then they realize what they've said. You read the harmonies of these different parables as they're sold and the Lord Jesus looks at them and he agrees with them. Yes, he'll destroy the tenants and he'll give the vineyard to another. And they cry out, may it never be or may it not be because they know it's being spoke against them. But the Lord Jesus in the parable is revealing that he knows that his death is going to reveal the wickedness of sinners who have sought his own destruction and sought to destroy the one that God has sent to them. And so when the hour comes when he's arrested in the garden and the soldiers come from the Sanhedrin and from the chief priest to arrest him, the Lord Jesus sees them coming and turns to his disciples and says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And we have the image of Christ dying on the cross, and we know the story of men who sat at the foot of the cross and they were mocking him, and they were heaping scorn upon him. Ha ha, he saved others, but he can't save himself. If you're the Messiah, come down from the cross and save yourself. You see an expression of the sinfulness at that moment in time as well. But the sinfulness that takes place and the sin that is exposed at the cross is not primarily seen in the plotting and in the planning and the treachery of those and the betrayal of those who brought him to the cross. And it's not seen the brutality of those who struck him and laid their blows upon him or in the cowardice of the pilot who turns him over to others for his own sake and because he wants to please the crowd. It's, it's not seen in the scheming of the Sanhedrin. It's not seen in the mockery that takes place as Christ is dying on the cross. It's not seen in those things. It's seen in Christ himself as he hangs upon the cross. Because there on the cross, the Bible teaches us that Christ became the one who was bearing our sin in our place. And he was an image. He was a reflection, a picture of the sin that he was dealing with, our sin. In John chapter 3, the Lord explains this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him in the middle of the night to speak to him. He's a leader in the Sanhedrin. And he asked the Lord Jesus certain questions. Actually, the Lord Jesus speaks to Nicodemus as what's really at his heart. Unless you're born again, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. Well, how can a man be born again? He can't enter his mother's womb a second time. It's a mystery. It's like the wind. You, you don't see where the wind goes or where it comes from, but you see its motion in the, in the trees. And so it is of everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. And then the Lord Jesus gets a little closer. I don't understand why you don't understand these mysteries. You should know these things. You're a leader in Israel. You don't know these things. Surely I tell you. And then he says in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He begins to reveal to Nicodemus how it is that he's going to give others eternal life. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, and that idea of believes in him is looks expectantly upon him should not perish but have eternal life. The Lord Jesus is drawing from a story that's found in Numbers chapter 21. It records the story of the people of Israel as wandering in the wilderness and they again murmur against God and they complain against God and they're complaining about the food God is giving them but it's really not the food they're upset with. They're just upset with God. And God sends a judgment upon them. God sends poisonous snakes in the middle of their camps and they infest the area where they're at and many of them are bit and many of them begin to have a slow and painful death. And the people come to Moses and they confess that they've sinned to God. 
But what's the remedy for the poison that's already been injected into them because of the snake's bite? God comes and tells Moses to fashion a bronze snake, to put it on a pole, and to lift it up in the middle of all the people. And then he says that as the people who are bitten will look to the bronze snake in expectancy of God's mercy, they'll be healed. Actually, the the word there that is given for us to look to the bronze snake in Hebrew means to look with expectancy. In other words, it's a word of faith. They're to look with expectancy, and as they looked at this bronze snake, with expectancy, believing that God would overcome their misery and their pain with the promise of mercy, they would be healed. And now the Lord Jesus is telling Nicodemus a mystery, which Nicodemus is not going to understand until the day that he stands beneath the foot of the cross, that as he is lifted up, to become the one who becomes the image bearer of our sins, that if men would look to them, they would be healed. Back in that time in, in the wandering through the wilderness when the people had sinned and they bit by those snakes, that snake represented something. That snake represented their sin. It represented their defiance of God. And as they looked to that snake and identified their own sin, that, that they're coming to terms with their sin against God. And the next, if they look to it and see that in it God was providing an answer for their sins a mercy for them, and they'd expect God's answer from him, God would heal them. In the same way when Jesus hung upon the cross, he is the image of our sins. He's expressing the misery and the judgment of our sins that we deserve. He is bearing in his own body our poison. He's drinking it in, and yet he also is reflecting the mercy that God has planned and the merciful way God has planned to save us from those sins. And with expectant look of faith, At the cross, God's promise of mercy is realized in the place of our deserving of judgment. Nicodemus had begun to believe in Jesus, but the Bible tells us, the gospel accounts tell us that he kept it a secret and he let no one know that he believed in Jesus, that he was the Messiah. And then when Jesus hung upon the cross and he died, just before the Passover begins, Nicodemus does something quite wonderful. He it is that works with Joseph of Arimathea, and they remain after Christ has died, to take and retrieve his body off the cross, and to prepare his body, and take his body to a grave and bury him. Quite remarkable, because the most important feast in the year was the Passover feast, and you couldn't participate in that feast if you'd touched a dead body. It defiled you. It kept you from entering into the celebration of the Passover, which was to be an expression of God's salvation. But in that moment, when he saw Christ hanging on the cross, he recognized his own sin. He recognized his own sin was being projected. He looked at the bronze snake. It was Christ. Christ was suffering for his sins. and Christ was dying. And Christ was the emblem of his forgiveness and his mercy. And all had been answered in that place. He came forward publicly for the first time in front of everyone to lay hold of that body, take it down from the cross and prepare it for the grave. The cross of Jesus Christ reveals our sins and sinful men, but it also reveals the way of mercy for those who confess that they're sinners. Here's the third thing that the Lord Jesus taught. He taught that the cross was under his power and that he would prevail through it. In John chapter 10, we have the chapter which is the chapter of the Good Shepherd. And there the Lord Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd and he says that he has come that he would give his sheep abundant life. Two times the Lord Jesus will repeat, I will give my life or lay down my life for the sheep. 
And when he says these statements, he's declaring his intent and his purpose, that he is to give his life for the sheep. And then he says in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Although the Lord Jesus knew that men were going to seize him, that men were going to beat him, that men were going to scorn him and crucify him, he was emphatic that he was laying down his own life, that this act was an act of his own glad, obedient agreement with the Father's plan and command, that he was given authority of the Father to lay down his life for us, and then he had been given authority to take that life up again for our salvation. I just want to say this. You know, there's this idea, there's an idea being projected out there. You can see it now. There's a current trend within progressive Christianity to reject the idea of the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ, suffering the penalty for our sins. They're saying that this is like divine child abuse, God bringing the abuse upon the Son in order to save us as cruel and wicked, and the Lord Jesus is telling us, no, I am not a victim of man's sin. I am a volunteer of their salvation. Christ gave himself voluntarily with his full authority. He was authorized to do this, to die for us and to rise again for us. He knew the victory that lie ahead. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting, or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.